Travels with John Smith, Year 4, 2015, Chapter 33, Problems of the Heart. We are in emergency in a hospital in Wuhan. John is in the next room with wires attached to his arms and chest. Earlier tonight, around 9 p.m., he said he didn't feel well and wanted to go to bed. He started describing the symptoms, tightness in the center of his chest, a heaviness like a dull ache. He feels anxiety, etc. John does not usually say anything when he doesn't feel well, so this is a red flag for me. I asked him if he thought it was a heart attack, and he said he didn't know. He asked me to push on his chest, which I do, and he says it's a little better, but after a short time, he says he can't lay down. It's worse. I ask him if he wants to go to the hospital. He hesitates, but says no. He sits in front of his computer without really looking at it. I go in and ask him to describe his symptoms again. I ask if we can look it up on the internet, and he says he knows what they are. I ask again if he wants to go to the hospital, and he says no. I can't sleep, so I look on the internet, and all the symptoms he describes are there. I go back and tell him. He still says no when I ask if he wants to call Blake and Sandy. Blake is our principal, and Sandy is his lovely Chinese wife, who works at the Foreign National School and has helped many people with translations. I can't sleep. A few minutes later, John comes into the bedroom saying, Okay. I throw some clothes on and put some things in a bag. I thought we could get Sandy to call the hospital or something, but they insist on coming with us. On Blake's suggestion, we called Jong, our favorite driver, instead of an ambulance, as he says the driver will be here faster, and he's right. Jong is at our door in 10 minutes. It is now close to 1.30 a.m., and the emergency doctor says he will keep him for a week for observation after some of the tests come back. All we know is there's something wrong with his heart. I ask him how he's feeling, and he asks me if I can cover his feet with the blanket they have placed on him. As always, he is gifted with the ability to take the seriousness out of the situation. He twists his mouth with a worried smile and whispers he doesn't want them to see his toenails, which are painted a beautiful sparkly silver. Here he is, everyone worried about him and his life, and he's worried about them seeing his painted toenails. I burst into fits of giggling and can't stop, and realize he has helped me to let go of some of my fears with this joke. A male and female nurse start pushing his bed out of emergency, and now we are on an outside road that looks like a back alley. The three of us push the bed until we come to the critical care unit, where they say they can observe him better. Our insurance covers us for the large private rooms in the private wing of the hospital, but they say the doctors don't really visit the patients there. We take an elevator upstairs and enter a dark room that is full of patients and family members, and it's hard to see which one is which. Someone switches on the light, 
There are four patient beds in the room, and each patient seems to have one or two people staying around them. Some are sharing the bed with the patient, some are on the floor or on a cot, and others have dragged a kind of metal bench in from the hallway and are sleeping on that. John is put in the bed closest to the door. As I mentioned before in a previous update, the nurses in the hospitals only deal deal out the medication and drips and take blood. They do not provide the rest of the care that you would get in the West, like meals, help with washroom, etc. Because of this, the patient's family or friends will come to the hospital and stay with the patients, providing food, crank the bed up and down when needed, clean and look after the patient's personal hygiene. I'm not sure where I will sleep if I am to stay here with John. There's a broken cot behind a door, but really not much room to put it anyway. We are shown a cupboard to put John's bag in, and Sandy and Blake go out to buy some essentials in a shop downstairs that is thankfully open 24 hours. Tomorrow we will have to buy bedding, wash basins, bedpans, water, toilet paper, food, bowls, cups, cutlery, cleaning supplies, towels, PJs, washcloths, etc., as the hospital doesn't supply those things. A woman gets up from the other side of the room and goes into the washroom, right next to John's bed, leaving the door open. The old man in the bed next to John starts to get out of bed, and he's completely naked. We decide that even though the school is an hour away, I'm better off going home tonight to pack some things we might need. We will buy me a cot tomorrow if necessary. I arrive home and the apartment feels empty without John. The whole evening suddenly hits me and I feel lonely on a very deep level. It takes me an hour to put together the things I need, so at 3.30 a.m. I set the alarm for 6.30 to get back to the hospital before he wakes up. Jong sends his son-in-law, who speaks a little English, to drive me, and when I get in the car, he says, Smith? with a worried look on his face. I feel a lump in my throat and swallow it down. I know my voice is a little shaky when I say, Buhao, not good. He says he will be okay. It takes over an hour for the cab to drive to the hospital. I get there in time to see the doctor, who says they will continue to observe and monitor John, and we will move into another room to do so. I'm relieved to see the room is large and semi-private. There's a western toilet, and there's a cot leaning against the wall in there. I ask the nurse, and she says, it's for me to use. There's a glass wall between the room next door and us. A woman about my age moves into it shortly after we arrive, and a few members of her family and a woman who is paid to sit with her. If a patient doesn't have anyone to look after them when they come into the hospital, there are women they can hire to do the jobs family would normally do. The women come out from outside the hospital, so I'm not sure they have any formal training, but they are useful if no one else is available. 
The woman and the family are very curious about us and often stand watching what I feed John and smile at our curious foreign habits. Our neighbors' voices bounce off the wall and it sounds like they're in the room with us, so sometimes it feels like we are on top of each other. We watch each other for a couple of days and notice most of the tests that John gets done, so does the lady next door. She has a lot of family coming and going, and we eventually have a conversation with her son and his wife, who both speak a little English. We compare notes, and they are friendly, but mostly we keep to ourselves, and so do they. The various wires that are connected to John show his blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen intake. We spend our time reading his blood pressure. He says if the two numbers add up to or are around 200, that's good. It was very high when he came into the hospital, but he says that was partially because he was so anxious. John is tired and the doctor says he should rest and should not get out of bed at all. And this includes going to the washroom, so I need to help him with that. We try to explain to the doctor that since we are from the West, it is more stressful to, ha- to use a bedpan, squat in a bed, than it is to walk, with my help, a few feet to the toilet. The doctor doesn't buy it, so John follows his orders reluctantly. John doesn't want to tell people what's happening, as he doesn't want to worry anyone but I convince him that people need some information and send out what we do know to family and the people from the school. Many people care about John at the school and they offer to come visit or bring food, etc., but he doesn't really feel comfortable with them coming, so I fend them off so he can relax and rest. I know what it feels like to be a rock rock star's manager." Many of the nurses speak a little English, and so does the doctor, but some of the terminology is difficult, so Sandy comes a few times to help us understand what's happening and fight in our corner when needed. We are forever grateful to both her and Blake for their help. They also live across the hall, so... We know They know where our key is, and when they come to visit, they can bring things we need. We settle into hospital life, and school life feels like it's far away. The community of the hospital reveals its kinks and quirkiness. A nurse tries to take my cot away after the first morning when I left it leaning against a wall. She says everyone has to put them in a room, and then... First come, first served at night, meaning you might not get one. I said no, and she argued, and I said no, and she said I must, everyone does, and I said I'll talk to whoever you want me to, but I will not give up my cot. I put it back in the washroom where it was when we got here, and no one bothers me after that. I had all our supplies, water, food, clothing, towels, etc., arranged and organized on a long shelf at the back of the room, and I was told by another nurse that I could not leave it out. He said it had to be put out of sight, which means I won't be able to find anything, and I asked why. He said, we have to do it like our neighbor, 
I said, I don't care how the neighbor does it. He said it wasn't him that wanted it that way, but kept insisting. So I put everything away, but told him I wasn't happy about it. A few minutes after this, the nurses did their rounds in a big group, and I understood that like at the school, it is all for show. There are rules that cannot be questioned. They are just followed. I later apologized to Leo, the nurse in question, and that night he brought a flower to put on John's night table. We get to know him better as time goes on, and he is a sweetheart. The nurses and doctors in China do not always wear comfortable shoes. I noticed the emergency doctor that that first saw John had high heels on under her scrubs, and she shuffled around the room in them. There are a few nurses in the hospital wearing high heels and even sandals. No comfortable white shoes for them. There is one nurse who is very small and very serious. She wears a mask, as many of them do, and has glasses. When she brings John his medication, she never looks or speaks to him. She always turns her back on him and says to me in a deep monotone voice, Are you John Smith? I say yes, and she gives the medication. There's a cleaning woman that uses the sink beside our ba- our washroom and tries to tell me how to do things. I am told she speaks a dialect, which is why I don't understand what she is saying, so I often say, Wobudon, which means I don't understand. We wonder what she actually cleans, as most of the day she's in our room looking to see what we are doing. I have only seen her run the mop over the floor in our room once in five days, and that was about two minutes with only water, which is standard in China. They don't usually use soap anywhere. I wiped the bathroom and counters down with cleaning products, and it was obvious it hadn't been done for a long time. Don't get me wrong, this is a nice room and looks generally okay, but when we moved in here, the wife of the last guy was still moving her stuff out, so for sure it didn't get a clean in between. There is still a cup with toothbrushes and toothpaste on the sink that I thought someone left behind, but later saw the cleaning lady using it. She's a jolly soul, though, and I show her I am listening to her suggestions by doing something she she suggested, and I see this makes her happy. I also share some muffins that Sandy brought in with the cleaning lady, and she seems very appreciative. After that, she gives us our space, but still laughs every time she sees one of us. Perhaps the fact that she is bringing joy by being welcoming and friendly to everyone is more valuable than cleaning. I try to time going out for supplies when John is sleeping, so if he needs something, I am there. Outside and round the hospital, there is another community. There are elevator monitors in pink shirts who yell at people, and make them stand in lineups and wait until they say it's okay to go into one of the elevators. During the week, there are two long lines of people carrying large bags with food or supplies. 
I don't really know which line I'm supposed to join, and a lady who speaks good English tells me some of the elevators go to the even floors and some to the odd-numbered floors, but says you can join the shortest lineup, and if it happens to be an elevator that only goes to the even floors, you go one higher and walk down the stairs. The pink-shirted ladies take their jobs very seriously, and I see one man turned away from the lineup because he argues with them, and a woman turned away because she tries to jump the queue. I hope neither of them are going up to a higher floor as they have to take the stairs. On the weekend, there are no pink-shirted ladies, and there are never lineups. Having to walk down a floor, I discovered that people hang their laundry in the stairwells. People buy or bring in their hangers and hang their laundry on the railings and on long strings that line the stairs and windows up and down the stairs on all floors. Some people sit on the steps, sometimes in large groups, like they are on the front steps of an apartment building, smoking cigarettes or having a conversation. I've also seen a couple of people smoking in various places in the hospital. One guy, who's here looking after his mother on this floor, the cardiac care unit, smokes in the little hallway where we empty out our garbage cans into the large bins. It's only a few feet from the hallway that all the rooms lead to. I saw a guy come in from the street to one of the elevators, puffing as he walked, smoked in the elevator, and then walked out on the floor where he was going to visit someone, still holding the cigarette. I saw another guy sitting on his haunches, waiting for an elevator on this floor, smoking away. It's like living in the 1960s. Outside, there are a couple of places like cafeterias or Chinese fast food places to get food and a shop where they sell everything from water to those cots. I now know the ladies who work in those places and they rush over to help me and treat me like an old friend, giving me special treatment and giggling at the fact that I can speak a little Chinese. Outside the hospital, near the bus stop, There are loads of patients, still in pajamas, some in wheelchairs, some looking very rough, but still smoking, watching the world go by. It's a little like living in a commune and is lively until about 8.39 p.m. and then dead quiet until 5 a.m. There are all ages, from two years old to pregnant women to elderly, caring for elderly There's a rhythm to it that is now familiar and feels normal. We begin to wonder how people are doing when they are wheeled out to have an operation. Maybe it's more like being in many people's houses all at once. We see who visits, we see what their morning habits are, what they eat, and the quirks of each patient or caregiver's personality. It's certainly one way to get to know about China. Maybe not a recommended way, though. It's Sunday night, and John is sitting up in bed writing on his computer. His blood pressure is normal, and he's looking relaxed. 
They tested him for diabetes today. The night he came into the hospital, he had eaten four chocolate bars while we were watching TV, so his sugar levels were also through the roof. We don't have the results yet, but that is something else he wants to look at. Tomorrow he will get the stents put into his coronary artery, and they will try to do an arterial expansion on a couple other arteries. If it's successful, we'll go home in a few days. John and I were worried about the procedures the doctor wanted to do here, so we checked them out with his cousin Randy, who's a retired doctor and the most intelligent person I've probably ever met. Everything we said they are doing, he said sounded right, and he said it sounded like they were doing a good job. We are relieved and grateful to have had his input and help with this. It's Monday, June 1st. John just had two stents put into his arteries, and they pressure-checked the other two arteries that were problematic. The operating room was ultra-high-tech, shiny, and modern. John said the specialists performing the procedures all looked like grade 10 students, very young and keen The doctor said it would be similar to the procedure he had when he first got here when they put a camera up there to see what was happening, but this time it would be a little longer, so we weren't as worried. Sandy came to help translate, and her and I waited outside the room. There were many more people around, right outside the room, as there are several examination rooms around it. We got worried when we saw people just walking into rooms without waiting or knocking, and there was a lot of chaos in the hallway, thinking it might interrupt his procedure. After two hours of waiting, they wheeled him out, and his face said it all. He looked drained and gray, like he had been beaten up, like he had been through something horrible, and both Sandy and I felt worried but relieved to see him. John looked at us and said, That wasn't nearly as much fun as I thought it would be. He said they had trouble delivering the stents all the same way as they had done with the camera, um, but it was very painful and wouldn't go past a certain point, so they had to re-enter via the brachial artery, the vessels on the opposite side of his elbow. The whole thing was done without anesthetic, and he said it was a very uncomfortable pain, as he could feel everything. He said it felt like it did the night he came in, something pressing on his chest, like a heavy bronchitis or something, with a nausea and dizziness as well. I felt sick listening to it all, sick at the thought of him experiencing this kind of pain. They continued to do tests for the rest of the day, and he seemed worse than he did when we first came in, but gradually got better and had an appetite for dinner. At 2 a.m., the nurses came and removed his bandages, the wound where they had entered. After that, he was wide awake and excited. I could feel the energy flowing through his body from where I was, and it feels like the worst has passed." While we have been here, John has sat doing nothing, which he doesn't usually do, and probably thought a lot. He's rested. We've had some very good conversations 
while we've been here about life, the future, and what is important to us. John did not come in here clutching his heart, unconscious or close to death. He had something that wouldn't go away, something he hadn't felt before, and it was more uncomfortable than painful, he says. This is a wake-up call, and it could have been a lot worse. We are both grateful that he came in, that he's still here. We are packed up and ready to go, so we say goodbye to the lady next door, who had the same procedure as John, and is also leaving. Her son is sitting looking at the bill. It is 17,000 yuan, or approximately 3,500 Canadian dollars. He says they don't have insurance and looks worried. We are aware, once again, of how lucky we are to have insurance which covered everything, grateful for Sandy, who was our go-between with the insurance company and interpreted for us with the medical staff. And we are grateful to the good doctors and nurses who have given John such good medical care. Thank you, Jongnan Hospital.